For those of you who don't know me, don't know me my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Uh, special welcome to anybody who might be visiting with us today. So glad to have you here with us. Well, um, a friend of mine, uh, Steve Nicholson, pastors the Evanston Vineyard Church uh, in Evanston, Illinois. And it's a great church. Uh, he's a dear friend of ours. And so one day he's telling a story about this guy who had been coming to his church. Uh, and this guy came to his church from one of the more main not, mainline denominational churches. And he had just been sort of checking out the vineyard. And so after a few months at the vineyard, my friend Steve went up to this guy. He noticed he'd been hanging around for a while and said, hey, I noticed you've been coming and hanging around and checking things out. What would you say is the, major, the biggest difference between this church, you know, this vineyard church, and the mainline denominational church you come from? And so Steve, being well acquainted with the vineyard sort of casual style, maybe he thought the guy would say, hey, you guys really don't really dress up when you come to church. Uh, Steve being aware that at that time, the vineyard was on the cutting edge of playing contemporary music rather than traditional music, thought maybe the guy would say, hey, you guys, you know, turn the music up really loud and you play, you know, worship with rock guitars. Uh, maybe the guy being from a more mainline denominational church noted that the leadership or the government structure was different. But he said what the guy said really shocked him. And the guy says the main difference from this church and the other churches I've been to is that you guys actually expect people to change when they start coming here. You guys actually expect that when people would engage Christian community, uh, would engage the real Jesus and put his word, his truth, his principles to work uh, in their lives, you guys actually expect people to change. And that's one of my favorite stories. And frankly, it's one of the things that I hope people say for years and years and years to come about this church is that, hey, they'll love you over there, they'll care for you over there, no matter who you are, you can find a place at the vineyard, but, but beware, uh, because those folks over there, they've got a hold of something, and they believe that what they've gotten a hold of will radically, will radically change your life. We seek to be a transforming community. Well, in case you didn't know, we're, we're six years old today. Six years old. And, you know, it's, it's been an interesting ride. So if you'd asked me, let's say, 10 years ago, hey, you, you know, you're going to be a pastor. Wh what type of church do you want to pastor? I'd have probably just had a real simple answer for you. I'd say a big one. Just give me a big one, you know, with my spot out front, you know, the pastor's spot out front, a cushy, you know, chair that I could sit in that nobody else gets to sit in. That's all. I just want something big. And I want some, a church where people behave themselves, you know, where people are nice and they don't cause too much trouble. Uh, but if you ask me today what type of church uh, I want to pastor, what type of church I want to have, I would say a church that looks much like this. A church where the real Jesus has been dispatched and people are being changed and people are being transformed. A place where people can fall in love with Jesus. And I realize that as people fall in love with Jesus, they start to behave a little bit better. You know, their attitudes to change. They spend their money differently. They treat one another differently. I would, I would ask actually the pastor's church that looks very much like this. And some of you know our story, but, you know, several years ago we were in Champaign, many of us. And the Lord gave us a vision to start a brand new church. Our pastor, our sending pastor, gave us permission to approach anybody that we wanted. 
and I asked them if they would go with us. And so we had this vision for this multi-ethnic, multicultural church. Um, we didn't know exactly where we were going to go just yet. And so we start talking to people. We start talking to couples. And a few people got really excited about that. And in June of 09, myself, my wife, and 11 other people moved to the south suburbs of Chicago. And we started this church. We have a picture of our uh, original team. Uh, that's our original team right there. And if I had known that this would, picture would just be so enduring, we probably would have dressed up a little nicer, and I probably wouldn't be holding, you know, a SpongeBob doll. But this is the enduring picture. Fifteen years from now, we'll be showing this picture, not because we love it so much, but we, just, we don't have a better one, right? We don't have a better one. But these people, man, uh, have given their lives to uh, the play at this church. And if, those, if, you got, if you're in that picture, would you just stand up so we can... So we can honor you today. Thank you very much. And these folks are, you know, very much still in, in the thick of, of church life here. It's, it's uncommon, as many of you know, for a uh, church plant team to last beyond a year or two. In fact, we received predictions that after a year or so, we'd start fighting, we'd hate each other. And we'd be scattered all across the U.S., but they are faithfully still here, and I'm very grateful for that. But in June of 2009, we, we moved here, planted down roots. In November, of, uh, November 1st, you know, six years ago today, we started our very first service in the basement of the St. Paul Community Church in downtown Homewood. And so I guess, you know, the burning question is, why, why did we do this? Why, why do we do any of this? Why do we do any of this? I'm taking to a passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verse 14 through 17. Paul says this, but thank God he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God, but his fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this? You see, we're not like many hucksters who preach for personal profit. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. And so I've read, come across this passage many times before, but recently this really sticks with us because it seems almost like a missional thing for us. It seems like a, a, a perfect answer to the question, why do we do this? Why have we given our lives to this? Why do we continue to give our lives to this? Why haven't we chosen to do something else? And so when we ask the question, why are we here? I think Paul uh, answers it perfectly in that first verse, to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere we go. Now, we know that we can't be in every place at every time, and so what we realize is that realistically, God has sent us here and this small community to be a blessing here, to be his hands and feet here, to bless the people who call this place home, to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere, not just by thumping the Bible and beating people over the head with scriptures and, you know, typing out coded, cryptic, Christianese, you know, Facebook posts, but by, by living the Bible. By living it out and loving God like we truly understand who he is. I love what Paul says here in verse 15. He says, some will like it and some won't. Verse 15, our lives are like 
Christ-like fragrance is rising up to God, but this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom, but to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And to some of us, what we do here and what we've come to do is a stench. I mean, they don't want anything to do with what, we, what we're doing here. They think we're absolutely nuts. You quit your job. You sold your house. That's so stupid. Why would you do that? But to others, we are a beautifully, beautiful-smelling fragrance in their nostrils. To some, this is absolute foolishness. But to those that are being saved, as the Scripture says, this is what we're doing. This is a demonstration of God's love. This is a demonstration of the inbreaking of the kingdom. This is the power of God at work. And so early in, those year, in our early years, I was really concerned about everybody liking us and everybody signing on to what we're doing. But the more I read passages like this, the more I just really want and choose to engage those who, as we broadcast Christ's love, as we broadcast his fragrance all over the place, I really want to engage those that choose to engage that. I really want to engage those who see what we're doing and go, man, I could use that. Those who engage this presentation of Christ's work and his power and say, listen, I want more, I want more of that. And over the years, many have drawn near. And over the years, many have been transformed and still are being transformed by God's power and by his kingdom love as expressed through this church. And as a pastor, I'm in a unique position, right? My phone rings all the time. I get text messages coming through, stories, good, bad, and ugly. I'm on the front lines of hearing what God is doing. And, you know, oftentimes I feel like it's helpful, not just helpful, but necessary to share those stories with you. And that's why we do testimonies. You know, as we party today, we'll have a, you know, a nice uh, lunch afterwards. But, but the real highlight for me of these services where we celebrate is that we, ask, we, 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 we hear stories of people who God has really impacted as a result of this church, and as a result of our saying yes. Our testimonies are a picture of what God is doing. Our testimonies are a reminder to us of why we do this. Our testimonies are a reminder of why we've given our lives to this and why I and we continue to ask so much of you to continue to engage this. Our testimonies remind us what we're up to and what we're doing. So we've got five people that have agreed to share. I ask a lot more than five people, but uh, sometimes our nerves get the best of us. And so, but five people have agreed to share with you what God is doing in their lives, specifically what God has done through this church. And I'm going to call them up one by one. And so the lucky person that gets to go first, Melanie, where are you? Uh, so give Melanie a hand as she comes. I think that was a setup. But as you know, said, my name is Melanie, and I'm going to share some of my testimony with you. At age 13, my mother passed, and I basically walked away from God. Although I still believed he existed, I wanted nothing to do with the actual church nor the preaching of his word. I was living life for myself. Fast forward 12 years, and there I am, a 25-year-old mother of three with a failing marriage, uncontrollable debt, and an unstable relationship with another man. After realizing that my life needed to change and an invite to the SSV from my cousin Sandra, I began my journey back to, the, back to Jesus. Me and my husband began attending services regularly and even had a few of the leaders try to assist in repairing our marriage. However, it takes two people to fix a marriage riddled with lies and deceit. 
And although my husband was willing to fight for it, I simply acted like I was, but was unwilling to let God take the wheel. I thought I knew how to handle things for myself when it was clear I was still spiraling. I hadn't realized the damage I was causing when I walked out on my husband at a moment's notice. Even though in my heart and mind I was ready to follow God's path, every time I sat in these chairs during service, I could hear God saying to just let go. Several years flew by with me in and out of church due to my conflicting work schedule. All the while, my husband continued to be there for my kids as well as for me anytime I needed him. In fact, I saw him just about every day. And not once did he ever put me down nor show hatred towards me. I began realizing that deep in my heart, I still loved this man and wanted to return to him. However, I was too scared and too prideful to completely let go and give God the control. It wasn't until my job changed, which is another one of God's amazing blessings, that I truly began letting go. There are a few distinct moments where God answered my prayer for guidance and gave me the signs I was searching for. One of these moments happened the first week of my new job. I was standing along Calsag Road waving my sign, listening to past sermons, when God told me, Child, listen closely to the series on relationships. So as I scrolled through the series and clicked on each, listening intently, I began to feel overwhelmed by emotions of sadness, guilt, and the realization that I truly messed up. God then spoke to me and said, I forgive you. Now go and do what your heart is telling you. So that Sunday, after several days of thinking about my encounter with God, but still chickening out on pursuing any type of communication with my husband, I ran into my cousin Terry, who approached me and asked how things had been going. As I begin the usual, ah, okay, routine, I instantly begin to feel my chest tighten and tears flood my face. After talking and praying with each other, Terry encouraged me right in that moment to reach out and send my husband a text. So I did, although I was terrified of rejection. Over the following week, me and my husband began talking about the possibility of getting back together. At which point, he stated, let's be friends. That's all I can offer you right now. My heart broke. Yet again, I yanked the wheel from God, and I decide I'm making the choices because I'm hurt and frustrated. I go and I talk to one of my really good friends about the conversation with my husband, thinking she'd take my side. But instead, she told me I was an idiot. She said, how could you not see his response is a yes, I want to fix this marriage. I'm just scared. So I throw my hands in the air, in the air and ask God to take the wheel while, pray, while praying for a sign of what I should do. To my shock, a couple days later, my husband sends me a text message regarding us. It wasn't the nicest message, but instead of grabbing a hold of the negativity, I ask God, how do I respond? I literally hear him laugh in my ear and say, with a kind and patient heart. When I get off of work that day, I go to pick up my kids from his house. And as I'm sitting on the couch waiting, I get this feeling that I'm home. And now is the time to respond to what God has been preparing me for. So I let go of the nervousness and I let God take the wheel as I ask my husband if I can stay. So fast forward three months, and here I stand before you, expecting my fourth child... Going home to the man I love, the husband God chose for me, and making the solid choice to let God take the wheel each and every day, as I've realized it's impossible to live a fulfilling life without him.
Well, I think that that's one of the one of the testimonies that highlights, you know, we've had people over the years who have come and then they don't come for a while and then they come. But we've just resolved to be a welcoming place for those who, you know, who are ready to receive. And so we don't, if, you, if you've been gone for a while, we don't say, hey, where you been, you know, or, or give you funny looks when you come. We realize that the Holy Spirit is better at transforming lives and hearts than we are. And so we just focus on loving people and welcoming them in because when they're ready, when they're ready, they'll make that choice. So the second testimony we have is uh, from Marisol Aliyah, and she uh, asked me to share, to read hers because she said it would be a bit of emotion, uh, too, too emotional for her. So I'm going to read her story as she sent it to me. She says, before I found SSV, I prayed to God that he would lead me to a church that I can be used and can function. We, Chris and I, Chris is her husband, visited churches here and there until one day God answered my prayers through the help of Dr. Ann Sappho. I didn't have a car back then, and people were so nice to come and pick me up at my house and bring me home every Sunday. This happened for several weeks, and I was very grateful for that. Sometimes SSV ladies would offer me a ride to get home, people like Shannon, people like Alicia, Jenny, and Annie Wilson. My husband Chris's two jobs had him working seven days a week. He also worked very far from our house. Life for us was very, very rough in those days. I remembered praying that God would give him a job that pays more and was closer to our home so we can go to church together, and God answered my prayers. Chris found a job that was 15 minutes away from our home, and he didn't need to work two jobs anymore. God provided us with two cars, and life became more functional. We decided to be part of the SSV community, and we've been serving here for over four years now, with me serving on the worship team and in the children's ministry, and my husband faithfully serving in the hospitality ministry. In 2013, God gave us a son named Nikki, but he died after just 19 days due to an illness called pulmonary disease. God was so good to us in a time of such sorrow and grief. He sent beautiful people to stand beside us during those dark times. I've never met pastors with more love and dedication toward their members than Gino and Shannon and David and Jenny, especially in times of difficulties. My son, uh, Nikki, was on life support for 19 days until he died. During those days, many people showed their love and support by visiting us at the hospital and checking on us through texting, phone calls, and even bringing us meals. The Allison family, Mark and Denise Kudamat, Annie and Mike, Alicia, the Maldonado family, and the entire SSV family was sent by God to comfort us. I was grateful to find a church community like SSV that is always there to cry with you, mourn with you, strive with you, and even laugh with you. In 2014, I conceived again, but then had a miscarriage after six weeks. Many times I wonder, what did I do to receive such pain as losing my children? But after losing two children, God gave us another child this year, and his name is Noah. Noah came out perfectly with no complications, and he brings us much joy in our lives. We thank and give God all the glory for his wonderful gifts he's entrusted to us. And to all the people that gave their gifts, their food, and their love, she says, thank you, thank you, thank you. A bunch of times, I'm not going to read them all. Thank you so much. You know, I remember um, walking with uh, their family through, through the loss of, of Nikki, and it was, you know, it was our first funeral that we did here, and it was just 
for, for a baby that was two weeks old. And I watched this community rally around them and bring them meals and show up at the funeral and support them. And it was one of the, one of the both, both a high point and a, and a low point for us as a church. And this is exactly uh, why we do this, guys. And I'm, I'm very thankful to be a part of a community that functions in that way. I want to move on with a testimony from Crystal Franklin. Crystal, where are you? Crystal? There you go. Don't be shy. (laughs) Wow. Um, I'm Crystal. I'm very nervous. Congratulations. Congratulations. Um, Tony and I, my husband, have always been avid study partners of the Bible. And one day, as usual, Tony said, Ruta, we need to find a church to go to. Ruta, that's my nickname that he gives me. Um, My husband is Puerto Rican and Spanish. Puerto Rican and black, and I used to tease him and say, you know, you're just Puerto Rican for nothing. No, no, you don't even know Spanish. He said, yes, I do. I said, well, say something to me in Spanish. He says, well, I'll say your middle name. My middle name is Ruth. Ruta is what he comes up with, okay? So, David, you know that's not Spanish, right? (laughs) So, he says, Ruta, you know, we need to find a church to go to. And I thought, oh, my God, here we go again. Tony, why do we need to find a building to go to? We're doing fine. We pray together. We study together. We research the Bible together. Why do we need to find a building? That was always my go-to response. So when Tony would come around two or three times a year, we need to find a church. So... His response would always be, forsake not the gathering of believers, blah, blah, blah. That's what I'm thinking to myself. So I said, okay, in order to keep him quiet, I conceded to trying the whole church thing again. I'm a spiritual person, not a religious person. So the whole church thing was not my cup of tea. So we started visiting neighboring churches. The first church that we visited in the area didn't even acknowledge us. It's like we were invisible. We walked in, we were on time, which is not one of my strong points, but that day we were on time and we sat and we sat in the front and nobody ever acknowledged us. This is great for me because that was my point in time that I could lean into Tony and say, see? I told you about church folk, but you still want to keep going. And he said, let's continue. Let's, let's, let's give a few, go to a few more churches. And I thought to myself, mm, just doesn't get it. So we began this journey of visiting building after building after building after building. Same results. No response from the congregation, no response from the pastor, no nothing. So this was a good thing for me. (laughs) So, just as I was about to plead my case in full confidence 
to Tony. I was ready. I had all, everything I wanted to say down packed each building we had visited. The dates, the times, everything that happened, I was ready. And Tony says, Ruta, let's try one more. And I said, one more. I'm thinking to myself, okay, how many have we been to already? Okay, one more, it's all gonna be the same thing anyway. So I gave him that one more try. Needless to say, that one more building was South Suburban Vineyard Church. We walked in March 29, 2015, and we've become regulars most of the time, <laughs> ever since. Communities and small groups is something that we had never really considered, but a seed was planted. At, at SSVC, a sea that could only be quenched by being a part of a community. And this is a foreign thing to me and Tony. But old habits of antisocial behavior, old habits of just being too busy for people outside of the immediate family, old habits of sports time superseding all time for one person, die hard. South Suburban sparked the awareness of a need to become a part of a community, and more importantly, the desire to get better at being a community, being, I'm sorry, being in a community of believers, and that's why we continue to come. I've never really been a people person and nothing's changed in that area. It's <laughs> not a people person. But I can say this, I've grown in other areas since I've been coming to SSV. I don't mind being hugged as much as I used to. <laughs> I can thank Nunya for that. She's a hugger. Even though I've told Nunya several times Nunya, I'm not a hug person. I'm not a touchy-feely person. But the girl will not stop. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's not a regular hug, you know, one of these. She grabs you, you know, like a rag doll. And you're like, <laughs> and it's like, where have you been? It's like, well, Nunya, didn't we see each other last week? But that's who she is, that's what she does. As a matter of fact, if she doesn't hug me, I, I get kind of hurt. <laughs> and I'll look for her. So, but that's Nunya. Yvette, Yvette helped me to challenge myself by organizing a fabulous ladies' night at Tactical Laser Thursday evening. It was exhilarating, to say the least. And me, doing each of our performance tasks there, I used the stairs instead of the ramp. <laughs> and any of you who's ever been there, you know the stairs are, are like this. So you know the exertion you have to get to climb those stairs. So she helped me to challenge myself. I didn't know I could do that. 
so well that I got home and challenged Tony. Tony said, you don't want nothing of this. He was right. By the way, the blue team won. That was our team. <laughs> and Tony, T-O-N-I, the girl Tony, she has a smile that lights up the Taj Mahal. And no matter where you are, whether it's SSV or a laser, a tactical laser, the results are the same. She makes you feel welcome. And lastly, but not least, Jenny. Jenny's small, but don't let that small exterior fool you. She's a powerhouse. And now that I think about it, I think I was trying to keep up with her Thursday evening. <laughs> She's incredible. Jenny always has a positive, mixed with humor, word when she greets you. I'm still not a people person. But having said this, Nunya, keep those hugs coming. I need them. Yvette, keep those challenges coming. I need them. Tony, keep smiling and making me feel comfortable and welcome. It makes a difference to me. Jenny, keep those positive thoughts flowing. I love hearing them. Thank you. That was awesome. And now we're going to hear from Curtis Robinson. Give him a hand as he comes. Give him another hand as he comes. <laughs> and Lisa's coming with him. You got the whole family. All right. Good morning, everybody. I'm uh, try to get through this. I'm, you know, extremely nervous, but we'll get through it. Um, I just wanted to take some time to say during our time here at the SSV, it's been, you know, just nothing but loving support from every single every single member, and. Um, I really can't imagine being anywhere else. Um, you know, it's, it's allowed us to take a great um, perspective of Christianity and apply it to an everyday life. Um, uh, you know, personally, I knew, you know, doing the right thing was a good thing, but I didn't know how to really approach Christian life um, and the fact of, you know, you know, just having compassion for people and... Um, walking it out, you know, every single day. Um, our steps to getting here was, it started probably about two years ago where we would go to um, churches from time to time, and it was nothing that we really took serious. We would just go visit. He's like, eh, no, really don't like that place. You know, they didn't do this, they didn't do that. Oh, the music was bad. You know, we're not going back to that church. And this was normally just, just after church, immediately after church at like a lunch or something. And you know, we just kind of wrote it off then and there and have not been back. Um, uh, it was probably about two months into our search where my mother-in-law had got a, uh, I want to say it was like a door slip or something like that. And uh, she passed it along to us and she said, hey, you know, you guys can take a look at this church. And after a little bit of research and uh, finding out that they, you know, approved of multicultural relationships, <laughs> we... Uh, <laughs> 
we decided to give it a shot. And, uh, you know, we, we stand here today because of that. So, you know, that day, that laid, uh, laid the groundwork um, for a visit the following Sunday. And uh, we were able to really stop church shopping. We, we found our home. Um, the, the relationships that were, you know, have been built since that day, um, nearly a year or over a year and a half ago, um, are ones that are going to be life lasting. Um, you will not be able to forget a person here, ever. Um, <laughs> uh, so, and I want to say that, you know, when I, when I get into this, it's probably going to be a little emotional, but um, this church community itself has helped us get through a lot of rough times. Um, one significant rough time was when Lisa was pregnant, and um, probably about three months into the pregnancy, she got some bad news or rough news based off of a screening. So it was determined in the screening that um, the baby, Chloe, uh, had a 1 in 25 chance of having a syndrome called Angelman syndrome. Thank you. And um, it was just this church community that allowed us to go forward with, you know, what we wanted to do. We had our faith in God, and we knew everything was going to be okay, but it was always reassured by a member here, there, and no one ever allowed us to be shaken the other way. So probably about a month and a half after we got the screening results, we went to the University of Chicago, um, spoke to a genetic counselor, spoke to another doctor, and they were like, hey, have this test done, have that test done, and, you know, we'll be able to know for sure, you know, what the baby has, what the baby doesn't have. And it was a thing of, okay, I understand that, but what are the risks? So when we went to the extreme of, you know, finding this out, they were like, okay, one of the risks is, you know, the sack could break, you could lose the baby. It was something that we didn't want to do at all. Even if you can know with 100% certainty with technology, this is something, you know, the baby has or doesn't have. We didn't want to know. It wasn't going to change our mind. Um, so uh, fast forward to today. Chloe's two months old. Chloe's been tested postnatal and has no, no percentage of Angelman in her body. And I, along with Lisa, know that that's no coincidence. Um, okay. And, you know, besides that, it's said around here from time to time that church doesn't stop on Sundays or, you know, you can't just be a Christian on Sunday. You have to live this thing out. So with this community, it's allowed us to do it. Um, and I credit Gino and Shannon to, you know, building this foundation and appointing the right uh, people and, um, i trying to find my words here. <laughs> uh, It's just, it's a foundation you want to be a part of. It's really a foundation you want to be a part of. Um, last year, we started attending small groups, and I credit, again, Gino and Shannon to, uh, for appointing the small group leaders, and specifically Ramon and Yvette. We started attending their small groups, and since that day, 
you know, just nothing but love, nothing but praise. They keep me going. They keep us going. Um, I have lunch with Ramon from time to time, comes checks up on me, things like that. And, um, you know, even beyond that, I see that their work is still being poured into other people, such as Craig and Nunia, who are now, I would say, our co-leaders of our small group. They run this thing every Friday night. We have just an endless amount of fun. And there's always food, so that's always a good thing, too. But, no, um, we just get time to relax and uh, kind of reflect with one another about, you know, what happened in the week. We go into the Word. We get, you know, we do our worship, and, you know, there's always prayers. So um, I would say beyond just the, the, the energy that's in this building, these people make it a great place to be. And they will get you involved if you want to get involved, if that's for sure. You know, there's always a sign-up table for something. And um, me and myself, I work on uh, the tech team. And it's just, you know, something that I would never envision myself of doing. But, you know, hey, they open up the opportunities. If you want to take that opportunity, come out, do it. And, they'll, you know, they'll walk you along with it. But, um, you know, this is just, this, this community is just great. This, these guys are great. And I congratulate you on six years. This has been awesome. So. Can I keep this, bro? Oh. <laughs> I guess that's a no. Well, thank you guys for being here, man. I, you know, this is, this is why we do what we do. Why we do what we do. One, one more testimony. Uh, the, the bishop, Bishop Mayo, would you... Uh... <laughs> Turn in your Bibles to... Just kidding. No, people ask me, you know, just, I get the question all the time when people find out I'm from L.A., like, why are you here? (laughs) Just yesterday, I was at O'Reilly's, and the guy at the register was like, you left L.A., like, 75 to 80 degrees to come here? Like, what's wrong with you? And usually, I tell them it's for a job, and that's looking at it in the natural way. We were, you know, we left L.A., uh, we moved to Pittsburgh, we couldn't make ends meet, couldn't pay the bills, and I was looking for a job. And my friend, he worked here in Chicago area, and I found a job. And that's the natural way to look at it. But I think God had so much more in mind for us. I think that not only did he have a job for us and for me, but he also wanted us to be a part of SSV. We came here, we didn't know anyone, we didn't have any family, but SSV has become our spiritual family. And I remember the the first Sunday we were here, and there was a Connect lunch, and I just remember at the Connect lunch playing this game. (laughs) This infamous game called Spoons. And I remember our fearless leader knocking me over. This is my first Sunday. Knocking me over, and I'm laying on the ground, and I'm thinking, these guys are real. I could follow Jesus with these guys. 
And just over the course of time, Gino began to meet with me for breakfast, and and he didn't pressure me to do anything. Um, I was a ministry, I was a pastor in L.A., and he didn't pressure me to do anything uh, in ministry or anything like that. He just got to know me, and he got to know where I was at. And I remember meeting at breakfast and Gino challenging me. And at that point, I was pretty much done with ministry, done with leading. Um, my, my whole thing was I got a job, I work my job, I give God a little something on the weekend, and, and that's it. And I was really just upset with God. When we were in L.A., being a senior pastor, things weren't moving fast enough for me. Thing, God didn't work out, God didn't work things out the way I wanted them to work out. And so we left, and I, was, I just decided I didn't want to do that stuff again. And Gino challenged me and basically said, hey, are you going to be on the sidelines or are you going to get in the game? And it was a defining moment for me. And I decided, you know, just to little by little start doing things here at SSV. And slowly but surely, God just ignited a passion in me to, to make Jesus known. And as we were leading our small group, and there was just one night, I clearly remember one night, looking out into our, our family room and seeing everybody there and thinking, I think God wants me to start a church. And immediately, I mean, my, my flesh, my natural self was like, no, he does not. Are you crazy? We're not going to go through that whole thing again. And I kept it, you know, I kept it a secret from Yvette. I just kept it to myself. And we went to, around this time last year, we went to a, uh, re- a leader's retreat in uh, Green Lake, Wisconsin, and I just put it all out there to God and said, hey, if you want me to plant a church, then you're going to have everybody just encourage me to plant a church. Like, I'm not going to get any no's. And one by one, as I talk to people, they're like, yeah, you should do it. And I'm like, really? Like, and I give them all kinds of excuses. Like, I'm I'm an introvert, and, you know, I, I can't do this stuff. And, I mean, all the excuses are just knocked away. And, you know, fast forward to now, we're uh, leading our small group and we're transitioning our small group into doing something called a missional community where we're not just getting together to study the Bible and get closer to each other, but we really want to be a a gospel presence, a Jesus presence in our neighborhood and in our community. And so just doing these missional communities, we want to live out the tagline of SSV, to love God, to love people, and and to live it out. And so we're transitioning into these missional communities, and that's the approach that we want to take when we plant a church in 2017 in Pittsburgh. Yeah, surprise, Mama Rose. (laughs) And so I think that just with SSV, when people ask me, why am I here? You know, when people ask me, why am I here? I'm not going to say it's for a job. Now I'm going to say it's because I found a church that turned me from being burned out to being sold out. I found a church that really embodies, I'm part of a church that loves God, loves people, and lives out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Soldier Hughes, he's a preacher. He's a preacher. But so, you know, person after person, and if I were to open the mic, and I'm not, you know, uh, we could get dozens of people come down here and tell a similar story about how God has 
uh, changed uh, their life, how God has used this community to, to change their life. And, you know, you know, people here haven't arrived. We're not perfect. We still have our issues. And I'm, I'm the main person with issues, right? You want to follow a guy that has a few issues, you know? It means he's real. It means he's human, right? Um, but what I told you a couple of weeks ago, that what God is going to do in the earth, he's going to use, mostly use other people to do it. That what God wants to do in your life, he's going to usually use other people to get that hard work done. And what God wants to do in the world and in these small communities around the world, he's going to use his people, his church, to get that stuff done. And so when we ask the question, you know, why do we do this? Why do we come here every Sunday? Why do we open our homes for small groups? Why do we have connect lunches? Why do we do equipping and training classes? Why do we say the hard things to you when hard things need to be said? Why do we get in your face sometimes and challenge you when you're not living God's best for your life? Because this is what what God called us to do. Because he's given each and every one of us something to do, and he's using each and every one of us to call that out. In each other, so that we each can get to the top floor of our kingdom capacity. That's why we do this, folks. That's why we do this. And you heard each person talk to you about how basically this community and the individuals in this community was basically Jesus with skin on, the Bible with skin on, real life people that you can touch and that you could talk to, that will celebrate with you, that will cry with you, that will challenge you when you need to be challenged. I specifically asked those who were giving testimonies to mention the names of those who were instrumental in helping them. I I did that on purpose because I personally believe that if we're doing this right, that our names should be coming up in the testimonies of other people. You want to know if you're doing this thing right. You want to know if you're engaging this community, engaging others, and being a kingdom help to others. How often is your name coming up? How often is your name coming up? If God were to put the microphone in front of the person who you spend each and every day with in the cubicle next to you, at your workplace or at your school, would your name come up? Would you be considered a transforming presence in that community? And so for some of you, you get, no, I'm kind of in my own world. I do my own thing. Listen, hey, but but there's something wrong with that. And so that's not to condemn you. But that's to remind you of why we're here. Not just why we're here as a church, but why we're here as kingdom people. We're agents of transformation and change. And I would that dozens and dozens and dozens of stories would emerge as a result of us deciding to do what God has called us to do. So I'll end briefly by asking and answering this question, what's next? Somebody's always saying, hey, what's next? What, what are we going to do? Six years, that's a good, you know, round number. I don't know how round it is, but it's a good number. What's next? What's the, you know, exciting, you know, you know exhilarating thing that God has given you to do? What's, what's new? Give us some manna from heaven. I don't have any manna. You know, I have the same Bible that I had six years ago when I moved here. And that Bible has instructed us to do some pretty basic things. And all we want to do is get better at doing those basic things. Does that make sense what I'm saying? And so there's been an initiative launched throughout the vineyard, and it's an acronym that we call EDLD, the Basics of the Faith. And that E stands for evangelism, the D stands for discipleship, L stands for leadership development, and the other D is, stands for diversity. And so if you want to know what the plan is, you want to know what the marching orders are, 
you know, listen to the testimonies. As we engage these basic things, we'll see lives transformed. As we engage these basic things, this church will grow because people's lives will be changed. And when people get their life changed, they just won't shut up about it. Right? And so we might spend some money on marketing, but I just as soon invest the money in lives so that you can go and market. So that you can go and bring your family and your friends. And so, E, evangelism. We're going to tell everybody about this. We're going to indiscriminately broadcast the seed of the good news, the stories of our changed lives to the people that are around us. No, you don't have to get a suit. You don't have to get a bigger Bible. You don't have to, you know, send off in the mail for a title, you know, or a certificate of ministry. Just tell your story and be a transforming presence. And guess what? As you tell your story, some of those people are going to engage that, and some of those people are going to come. And guess what? When those people come, we'll engage them with discipleship. We'll sit around the table with them. We'll talk. We'll hear their story. We'll share with them ours. We'll challenge them on some things. We'll call out some things in their life so that they move closer to being a follower of Jesus. And guess what? In that group of people who we're discipling, some will have special gifts. Some will have leadership ability. And guess what? We'll see that leadership ability, and we'll develop that, right? And so this final D is diversity. I think we're generally doing very well with this, but we want to welcome and gather and cultivate from a very diverse pot of people, age diversity, socioeconomic diversity, cultural diversity, you name it. And when we get to the end of that cycle, guess what we're going to do? We're going to do it again. And we're going to do it again. We're going to do it again. We're going to do it again. So that we'll just have to, you know, knock the walls down because of what God is doing in this place. Those, that's, the road ahead. that's the road forward. That's where we're headed. And I'm so grateful to be leading this church. I'm so grateful for the stories that I hear week after week after week. I'm so grateful for those of you who said yes to Jesus and who continue to say yes and who will continue to work that out in the vineyard here. So can we just pray together as we, as, as we enter into a time of worship? Would you just stand with me? And if you don't mind, you know, I always hate this unless I'm the person initiating it. Would you just grab the person's hand next to you? Um, as we just stand in faith and ask the Holy Spirit uh, to do a work in us. As we celebrate with those who are celebrating, as we now mourn with those who are mourning, as several of our people are in crisis, uh, this, this is just a sign that we stand together and we're believing God to do greater things in our community. So, Lord, we thank you for these six years. Uh, we thank you for the people who uh, were on the very ground level of this thing, Lord. And we also thank you for those who have come in recent weeks, Lord. You have a plan for all of us. And, Lord, we realize here that you didn't call us here just to have a club of people that will know our names and just to make some friends, Lord. But you called us here to be a transforming community, to ourselves be transformed and changed but also to be agents of transformation and change in the world around us, where we work, where we play, where we go to school. And so, Father, we just give you our lives. We give you our future. We give you the future of this church. And, Lord, I pray that you would do something mighty in us. Lord, I just pray also that you would move us from just addition to multiplication. Um, Lord, I pray that you would move us from sort of adding people here and there, adding people here and there, Lord, to, to multiplying, to multiplying ourselves, not just numerically, but multiplying ourselves as in multiplying ministers, developing new disciples. Everybody from the youngest to the oldest, Father, would you send us out and do your work in us? We ask that you would form us and that you would make us. Lord, we thank you in advance uh, for the future of this church. We thank you in advance for the testimonies and the stories that will emerge. We give ourselves to you. Have your way. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.